Hey, Cap fam, and welcome back. It is time for the season two premiere of the Forward Capital Crusaders podcast. We welcome you first with an AD update from interim director of athletics and recreation, Dixie Jeffers. Then we transition onto the hardwood and we take a sneak peek of what's happening within the men's basketball program at Capital University with head coach Damon Goodwin. After the break, we are going to check in on our alumni spotlight with a Hall of Famer and two-time All-American from the women's volleyball program in the class of 2004, Nikki Workman. And then we'll wrap everything up with our first feature piece. He went from small town Mississippi to Ohio Wesleyan University to the NFL, and now he is leading the Crusaders on the football field, assistant football coach Keith Rucker. Stay tuned. It's time for Forward Capital Crusaders. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Forward Capital Crusaders podcast, and we open up today's show with our bi-weekly AD update with none other than Dixie Jeffers. And Coach Jeffers, it's been actually pretty popping on campus lately. We got move-in completed. Everything went really, really smooth. So talk about move-in from your perspective and what you can say on behalf of the university. I can tell you it was a wow day because um, everybody masked up, us not being able to help get kids up to the dorm room and so forth, and it's great. We're excited to see life as we once knew it a few months ago, several months ago on campus again. It's not to full capacity, but we have life, and we are moving, and we are starting to train. And having said that, the CAP Center is now beginning to open up to athletes so that we can begin preparing for the upcoming seasons. We have said that this is the beginning of phase one. For those that are either new to the party or need a little gentle reminder, what does phase one mean and what is the process flowing into phase two? So what we have done is we've, each team has put their, their athletes into pods, pods of 10. For football, it's pods of 11. For the rest of it, it's 10 or less. And then they come in at certain times and then we spread out. So for example, today football started. So we had 11 people at one time in the weight room. And then we had another area that we could put eight people in. And then we had another area that we could put 30 people in. So obviously we have different sessions going throughout the day to get our teams all the way through. Um, we were able to do a master schedule and we're on the master schedule and hopefully we'll be in this phase for two weeks and then we can go to 50. And so then we can share the same ball and then we can start to maybe look like even more things normally as, as far as that goes. Basketball will start October 1st and move into our pod. So we're gonna move them slowly. Uh, Damon and I have talked and it's gonna be more skill work, conditioning, and just try to return the kids as much as we can. We have um, until December 10th to continue to prepare and we're getting ready to do some competition. And once we get the kids up here and we actually can get things going and we stabilize and it looks like we're gonna have the stability, we've gotten some shirts and we're gonna have some contests and we're gonna start to compete for some really great gifts. So now that we begin phase one, we've talked about this 114 days of coach contact with each team. Uh, for those, again, late to the party or just uh, learning about this, where where does this 114 days kick in? Is it is it now or is it once we reach a particular phase? 
Well, for football right now, it has kicked in. We are later than anybody else as far as a start. I think Otterbein and us look similar to one another, but everybody else is either online or they are way ahead of us because they started school August 10th. So our 114 days, we probably won't be able to use. But what that means is as a head coach, if the head coach steps in to that workout that day, that triggers a day of use of the 114 days. I, um, we're tracking it by calendar, so we're compliant, but the chances of us using 114 days are probably not really high. We're here with Athletic Director Dixie Jeffers. And Coach Jeffers, I know that you said that basketball begins everything on October 1, but we're still waiting on a few things to shake down before we can really talk about schedules. Where are we at in that process? We're waiting on the NCAA, and we think there will be a decision late October. And then we're going to meet with the presidents as the athletic directors. We're going to meet with the presidents of our conference as a whole, um, which is going to be um, really nice because we're going to hear where they're coming from, they're going to hear where we're coming from, and we're going to get our schedule settled. And we're going to you know, decide when we're going to turn right now. We are to return December 26, and then start to come back to school, and we'll do the testing and everything the NCAA has put down. And then it looks like a January 23rd could be a possible start date for us, but we're just not set yet because the NCAA has to come back and rule, are they going to move the championships back? If they move the championships back, that moves our calendar back. So we're still trying to coordinate with them. And obviously they have a lot of problems going on right now with the furloughs that they've had at the NCAA. And a lot of things that they're addressing at the Division I level as well. They've been quite busy, and so we understand, although we may be impatient in finding the answers for Divisions Two and Divisions Three. Now, here inside the CAP Center, these are things that we can control. The building is now open, classes are in session here, and we're beginning to train. But we do have a few changes in procedures and policies. We have a video out there for everybody that's on Twitter and all the social media, as well as on our website. But to hear it from the top, uh, what are we going to be asking people that are permitted to use the CAP Center to do in order to use it safely? Well, we have temperature checks. We have two, one for tall, one for short. So I always go to the short downstairs. <laughs> Me and are, you both. <laughs> that, are, that are automatic. And the work-study kids are checking kids in now. We are checking our, our students in on the second floor. And we're temp checking them and getting them into the class as quickly as we can. Our athletes are out front and coming through temp checks. And the coaches are temp checking to get them in quicker so they can begin their workouts. Uh, you just We're like in a bubble right now. And um, it's effectively working. We have had three months to, to get ready for this. And the CAP Center looks much differently because the CAP Center looks like a workout area everywhere because of every inch of the building and the different fields that we have, we're using to train in. So we're asking everybody to do their Qualtrics or their symptom tracker examination. Keep that on file because you will be asked to have that used your temperature, and then go to where you're supposed to be and meet who you're supposed to meet with uh, in order to, to do it all safely. Did I miss anything there? No, you're not getting in here. and No one's getting in here right now just to come up to the floor. There are no visitors to the floor. There are no visitors on campus other than recruits, and, and we handle everything, and we have isolated areas to, to put those kids coming to campus into so we can recruit safely and plexiglass is up, and we... Um, we're a well-oiled machine right now, and the one thing I have learned through all this is, is patience and don't get in a hurry because it could change on you on a dime.
Absolutely. And just as a reminder to anybody that is a community member or a member of an outside organization, the CAF Center is closed. But to members of the capital community, whether you're faculty, staff, or a non-student athlete, uh, we will open to you soon enough. But in the meantime, please use the MEZ. All right, Coach, here's another issue that we've been talking about a little bit, and I think that some out there would like an update on it, and that's the mascot. Where do we stand today as far as where we are in moving away from the Crusader or where we are in general with the Crusader issue? As of today, September 29th, 2020, we are the Crusaders. Um, we are allowed to use the name Crusaders. Um, it still stands on our football field, soccer field, lacrosse fields. It still stands on our volleyball, basketball courts. We are still wearing it across our chests. As we move forward, you will not see the word Crusader across our chest, but you will see the C uh, start to lose the helmet as we phase forward and, and go forward. Um, the C actually was our traditional C many, many, many years ago when I came here and it's changed and evolved over the years. So um, Dave Kaufman has been very good about how we're going to move forward and tell us that we are Crusaders to we're the Crusaders no longer. Um, we're gonna be very intentional of communicating in, in various ways to our student athletic advisory committee, our constituents on campus, and can really doing a good job of communicating with our alums and our alumni as we move forward. But um, it's part of our history, and no one ever wants to lose their history. Um, we won two national championships under the name Crusader, and never would I want to not pay homage to that name. Never do I want to say we never were that. But we are about to move on to another era, and that needs to be slowed down. It is being slowed down so we can find our way through this and find the appropriate name for ourselves as we move forward. But as far as a timeline, you said that it is going to be slowed down. No particular timeline at this point in time? Uh, there's been talks uh, by our board to talk about it and so forth, but we have other issues that are at hand right now, and uh, I'm okay with that because I want to hang on to this name as long as I can. But uh, as we move forward, hopefully, you know, maybe sometime next year, there's just so much to do. We have a lot of sports to play in the spring. We're still navigating the pandemic. And uh, as of right now, there is no timeline. So let's all be crusaders as we move forward. Uh, Coach, you've been really busy. I mean, what are some of the things that are on your plate right now? I mean, you're, you're still the head coach of the women's basketball team, but you're also the AD. So what are the few of the things in either of those two roles that you're working on right now? We've worked really hard to get this facility ready so we could accommodate our kids. Um, We've come up with competition things with SAC to try to generate the enthusiasm and so forth. We uh, continually continue to talk with our medical team on how we're going to handle things moving forward. We're in constant conversation with campus on how we're handling everything and how we can, can continue to assist in the things that we're doing. And boy, are we heavily into recruiting. So we are driving kids to campus. We have a major recruiting piece coming up October 31st that we visit kids before the kids re return recruits. So now we're trying to bring the recruits back to campus to meet our student athletes, meet some alums, and to hear from the president and, and hear from our vice president that we report to on what it's like to be at Capitol and how we're managing to live with this and move forward. 
It all sounds incredible, and it seems like, as you mentioned, we're progressing little by little back to a state of normalcy. So are there any other things that I've missed that may be going on or maybe a message to the Cat Fam that you'd like to deliver today? I think the Cat Fam is so awesome, and we are in a verge of generating a lot of excitement and enthusiasm to return to sports and to return to sports with a little bit better, you know, you know, a little bit more swag in our step and getting things done and, and, and being, having that sense of pride that we used to have. And, you know, I've got a pin on right now that says Purple Power. And I truly believe in the Purple Power and I believe in the alums. And we've been through an incredible journey in the last eight months, but we're going to come out the other side better. Totally believe you on that, Coach Jeffers. And we're going to let you get back to work, but we appreciate your time and the update here within Capital Athletics. Thanks, Ryan. All right, we're going to keep on moving forward here on Forward Capital Crusaders. Stay tuned. You're about to hear your men's basketball update from head coach Damon Goodwin. Welcome, Cap fam, and to kick off Season 2 of Forward Capital Crusaders, we brought in a heavy hitter here on Season or Episode 1, and that is head coach of the men's basketball team at Capital, Damon Goodwin. And, Coach, you're now entering year 26 here at Capital, and so just, I mean, this is one that's really going to be for the memory banks, and it's not going to be like any other one. So just talk about entering year 26 and, and what that means to you being here at Capital. Well, it's certainly going to be different. There's no doubt about that. Uh, we're still trying to figure out our schedule. We're still trying to figure out our practices. And, um, you know, for these kids coming out of high school with, with the current events and things, it's certainly going to be, you know, a, a different atmosphere. And, and we're talking about things COVID, things racial, things protesting, and, and trying to stay on top of it all. And uh, we just had a discussion last night with our players. So uh, I think we're changing. We're adapting, too, as a coaching staff. Uh, but bottom line is we, from a basketball standpoint, we're going to do what we do. We're just trying to become more involved in, in their lives as, as we all go through this new time. No doubt about it. Take a step backward before we go forward. Uh, you know, we're finally out of the dog days of summer, and so we just kind of want to ask, I mean, how was yours? I mean, we all had a little bit more free time than normal and just kind of catching up. What was the highlights? Well, it was a long summer. Um, you know, we did not have camps for the first time in 25 years. Uh, we had one camp, but uh, usually we have a, a lot more than that. So it was very different from that standpoint. Um, my my youngest son was home for four or five months, which is something that hasn't happened for a few years with, with him playing basketball. And, and uh, uh, you know, we spent a lot of times together with uh, my wife and I. And, and uh, so it was a little different from that standpoint. And and uh, fortunately for us, we have some places to go, and we did a little traveling, and, and um, I saw some people we hadn't seen for a while. Now, you mentioned your youngest son, Dane, obviously a member of the Notre Dame basketball team. If you're connected here at Capitol or in just the college basketball scene, you know that. And that's got to be a tough balance just to, you know, watch him play in a major program and also have this opportunity and this job here at Capitol. So how do you do the balancing act between dad and coach and all those things? Well, I drive a lot. I, mean, <laughs> I can tell you that. Um, you know, our team's been very receptive to some of the minor changes. You know, we really haven't made a ton of changes for our team here at Capitol. But every now and then we'll, we'll practice in the morning so I can go watch a game at night. And uh, our team's been great. I, they understand that. Um, sometimes I think they like to practice in the morning for a change-up anyway, uh, just to have the rest of the day off. Uh, but that's really the only adjustment that, that we've made um, from a basketball standpoint. And, and I appreciate their willingness to, to make some changes. And, and uh, I actually talk to recruits about that as they come in, that, hey, there may be some days that we – 
We uh, practice in the morning to enable me to go watch my son, and most people seem to be pretty receptive to that. No doubt. And, and so as a coach of young men here at Capitol, a dad, and also you have to be coaching Dane, and I'm sure that's been something that ha- over the course of time has happened. How do you coach him differently? Or do you? Well, you know, I, I try not to coach him. That's no longer my job. Um, I, I do talk to him a lot of t- about some games, about some situations, but, but most of the time it's about effort. You know, it's not about what he's doing on the court. It's about how he's doing it on the court. And like every kid, he's got good games and bad games, and some of the bad games, I think, are, are very similar to the reason that kids at our level have bad games is maybe they just weren't mentally prepared to play that night. Maybe something's going on in their life that they were not thinking about the game coming up. And, and um you know, you have to help kids through those situations and understand that, that um, you know, to, to in order to be successful at, at anything, and certainly in any sport where there's a scoreboard, you've got to give it your full attention, and, and that's the way we approach it. We're talking with head coach Damon Goodwin here at Capitol, the leader of the men's basketball program. And, you know, you're not just a parent or really you're more of a parent to a group of 15 to 20 guys here at Capitol, too, just by being their coach. So as you navigated this summer with your family and you're navigating this summer as a coach from a distance, what was your message to your Crusaders over the course of this summer? Well, we started trying to stay in contact with them through the summer, uh, through Zoom and through phone calls. Uh, we had some, uh, you know, a, a fair number of Zooms. I don't, I don't think we were, you know, it wasn't every week, but maybe every couple of weeks we, we got together every two, three weeks, probably at least a couple of times in a Zoom. And, and uh, we did talk about the current events, you know. Um, um, so I, I think as, a, as coaches, we tried to stay in contact about our guys and, and uh, how to deal with some of these things that, as, that we want to deal with as a team and that uh, we want to deal with individually and how we're going to do that. So um, that's, that's basically all we could do this, this summer. You know, we, we did have one week of basketball camp where some of our guys did come back in and work. Uh, but other than that, it was all Zoom and telephone call, and, and uh, we're excited to get everybody back here soon. Now, I don't think you're very bashful about this, but you're a pretty old school guy when it comes to technology and all that kind of stuff. Is there something that maybe you've learned technologically that, you know, you've enjoyed learning or that maybe surprised your own skill levels as you uh, Uh, navigated this? No, not really. I (laughs) I know how to click on a Zoom now. Um, I know how to hit the mute and video button, and that's about it. (laughs) And those are very important things if you don't do them right. Correct, correct, correct. Talking some capital hoops here, Coach. You know, last year was kind of a rebuild building year a lot of young faces got a lot of time and got some serious reps for those that even were with the program for the last couple of years if you were to give last year's team a grade uh, despite the growing pains what would it be well I, I, I think it'd be pretty good actually it'd probably be um, you know with only one senior last year and in, in uh, G uh, and a lot of kids jumping into playing time that, that they really hadn't had before I, I thought we did a pretty good job. I thought there were some nights that we probably gave a game away or two, but that happens in every season. I, I did think that we, um, um, you know, most of our guys got better last year. And and I think that's a big, big selling point for our season this year. And we're really looking forward to, to getting after it this year. And talking about that growth, when you looked and, and reviewed at the last year's season, who do you feel whether it's a young guy or even a returner, grew the most over the course of the season? 
Well, Tyler Shrek certain, certainly, uh, uh, we knew he was good as a freshman. He just didn't have a chance to play because of all the seniors ahead of him. Um, but he certainly got a lot better as the season went on and, and was an all-conference player for us, and that's a, that's a great thing. Uh, I thought Reed Bradfield had a really good year. Um, Joe, Joe was consistent for us. Joe got hurt midway through the year, which really hurt us. I think, I think our record without Joe may have been uh, two and seven, three and six. So when he went down, that, that really hurt us. Um, but I thought he was consistent. I thought Cam was pretty consistent uh, throughout the year as well. I, I think from a freshman standpoint, uh, newcomer, you know, Trey Meister got a lot better from day one to the end of the season. And, and I think the same way about Griffin Dosek. You know, I think those two guys probably stood out from the freshman class for us last year. Um, and, you know, maybe another guy I should mention would be Brian Roth. He came in and, and made some shots for us throughout the season. Now, when you, again, look back and, and think of the things that you really want to harp on for the upcoming season, what do you think those top three things, areas of improvement, if you will, are that you want to address? Well, we have four seniors now. Um, I, I think the biggest thing that we need to get better at is probably that leadership coming together, being on the same page thing. I, I think nothing against G last year is just one senior. That's hard for any any single person to lead a, a basketball team. So my hope is that we have four seniors that have now been through the battles and trials and tribulations of seasons and that they will come together and they will uh, lead our team to, to a special year. So I think that's one of the things. We have to shoot it better. You know, we're, we weren't a very good shooting team last year. Um, and it, it puts a lot of pressure on you defensively when you're shooting, I think, 30% from three. So that, that obviously needs to be a lot better. And I think if we can, we can have our seniors uh, um, have a good year from a leadership teamwork standpoint and we can find some guys to make some more shots, I think we're going to be pretty competitive. We're talking Capital Hoops here with men's basketball coach Damon Goodwin. And now I'm kind of springing a little bit more toward the future. Uh, I know that it's been tough, especially just being distant from the guys. Uh, but has there been any talk about, you know, some progress that you've been hearing or people have been reporting on from back home and maybe some of those guys that maybe saw some major strides that they're self-reporting? Well, I, I've, you know, just looking at pictures of Aurora guys and seeing a couple of guys at camps, I, I know that we have some guys that have, have put a lot of time in the weight room. Um, they're, they're, they're physically, they look bigger physically. They, they uh, um, just have a little more presence about them, um, seeing them on a Zoom or seeing them in person. And that was the challenge we laid out, is don't come back here um, the same person you were. You know, be better, be, be, be stronger, be better. Uh, whether they are in a basketball standpoint, you know, I, I really haven't seen them yet, so it's hard to, to gauge that. But at the same time, I, I know that we, we, like every program, probably have had some guys that have worked their butts off and, and some guys that maybe need a little push. And, and once we can get them back together, hopefully here in October, you know, we'll be able to see that and, and uh, kind of run with it then. Filling those guys out, especially for the OA season, has to be incredibly important as mm -hmm. physical as this conference is. Uh, you know, Talking about that extra preparation, we know that we're not going to be playing until 2021. We're kind of still waiting on that schedule to come out officially yet, but do you see that as a benefit to have that extra time to ready these guys, especially for that physical OAC play? 
not really. You know, I, I, it's, it's going to be a long um, October, November without playing games, you know. So we are going to have to change our practice schedule. We're going to have to change the way that we do things uh, because it's just simply not. As a coach, it's tough. You know, we're going to have, you know, essentially two, two and, two and a half months of practice without playing a game. So how are we going to do that? And I don't know those answers right now. We're still working on that. Um, I, I do think it may help some freshmen. You know, it gives us a chance to really evaluate some kids we don't know a lot about. You know, in the old way, you'd have a week or two, and then you have to make some type of decision. Uh, this time, we're going to have two months to make a decision. So I, I think it may help some of those slow starters and guys that uh, have to get through that, that process. Uh, but I would think for older guys, it's, it's more of a, a, you know, a, a pain of not playing games. So we're going to have to come up with ways to, to make this interesting. Uh, we are going to change our schedule around. Uh, we probably are going to play uh, more five-on-five -five situations than we would in a practice situation. So that's, that's kind of – we're developing in, in that as we talk. Well, if you need an extra gym rat that can certainly help boost go. morale, I'll throw myself there out go. there so that they can shoot over top of me. <laughs> <laughs> Coach, you know, talking about um, – you know, the, the conference, especially just how physical it is, you know, when you look at what is coming back, you know, what do you see out on the landscape thus far? It, I know it's early, but what do you see? Well, I, I truly think the league the last couple of years has been as good as it's been for a long, long time. I, I think there are a lot of good players. There's a lot of good programs. I think there are a lot of good coaches in our league right now. And it's, uh, you know, for us, we were very average last year. We were 9-9 in the league and 13-13 overall. Can't get any more than average than that. Uh, but at the same time, I, I felt that we did battle for that. We did fight for that, that position. And, and we just need to take that next step. We need to be able to beat some of those teams that, uh, you know, that finished in the league ahead of us last year. We didn't beat many of those teams last year. We took care of the teams below us. Uh, the teams ahead of us usually beat us, I think, with maybe one exception. And uh, that's our next step is to be competitive with those, the, the top-tier teams, uh, like we were the year before. You know, I, we, we took a step back last year, and, and we're, we're trying to get back to that point that um, we can win every game. We're talking Capital Hoops with head coach Damon Goodwin. And that. Coach, I know that you love keeping things close to the vest, especially this early before sure. the season <laughs> kicks off. But, you know, can we talk about some of those first years, whether they're freshmen or incoming transfers? Like who, who or what was addressed um, as far as who might uh, be some new faces that we well, see? We, we did get a couple transfers. Um, you know, I, I think those kids are going to have a chance to help us. Um, the, the big reason one of them is because of the shooting aspect. Again, I, I can tell you that. Um, we did believe we need to bring, you know, uh, uh, some point guard play in. Uh, we were pretty thin at the point guard la position last year. So, you know, we brought a couple of those players in. We think they're, they're going to be pretty darn good. Uh, we really do. And, and then I think our overall depth of, of having guys uh, compete and push each other in practice. That's one thing. I thought we were really thin last year. We didn't have... You know, it was probably one of the shortest rotations I've ever had as a coach. We didn't play 9, 10, 11 guys like we usually did. Last year were 7, 6, 7, 8 maybe. So I thought it was important to bring guys in this year that will have a chance to play. I don't really want to get into names at this point because I just haven't seen them enough uh, on the floor with our guys. But, but I do believe that we have guys uh, in our freshman class that 
that uh, could help us out this year. I know that last year was kind of an anomaly where the freshmen were almost kind of forced Correct. to be in a, in a role of serious contribution. But do you see anything like that happening this year, whether they be freshmen or first years getting serious minutes? Yes, I do. I, I think uh, we have to. That That's going to give us our depth. I, I think there, there are certainly going to be guys um, that didn't play last year uh, in our program. Uh, we had a couple guys last year that, that – uh, we're not in our program because of injuries or bit transferring in the middle of the season type of thing uh, that are now eligible for us. So even though they may have been here, um, you know they didn't they didn't play. They weren't in the technically on the eligibility roster and all that. So I think we have a couple of those guys that that we think is is going to help us. And I also think we have a couple of incoming people to capital that that will help us. I, I, our depth this year is going to be much better than it was last year. Those are all great things to hear about. Sure. Two guys that I do want to highlight, though, and, and maybe ask for a little bit more in-depth analysis of. The first one is Tyler Shrek. I mean, had a fantastic mm -hmm. second half of the season, got all conference laurels that were uh, very well deserved. What's his ceiling this upcoming year, especially another year mature, bigger, stronger as a junior? Well, if, if, you, if people would ask me four years ago that, you know, Austin, his older brother, was going to be an All-American, I, I, I would have said, yeah, I think he's got a chance, but not many other people knew about him. You know, it was one of those kids that he just kept working, he kept getting better, um, and, and he had a great year. And I think Tyler's very similar. Um, if Tyler keeps working, becomes more of an offensive threat, becomes a better shooter than he was last year, you know, I think he can be a top guy in this conference. And when you're a top guy in this conference, uh, you have a chance to be, you know, very things very special happening for you. Um, he can do a lot of things. He was our best defender. You know, I, I think when you, you have a guy that plays both sides of the court like he does, uh, you can be very special. And, and um, we anticipate him to continue to work and be a big part of what we do the next two years. And we know that you love those guys that can play both ways I on do. the side of the court. And one guy that we're hoping develops his offensive side of the game so he becomes one of those people is Joe Hartman. And I think that we saw flashes of that sure. a little bit on both sides. And then he got hurt with uh, that injury. So just talk about you know his recovery and, and what you see for Joe as a senior this year. Well, you know, um, uh, Joe is a kid that, that has battled through, you know, maybe not playing a lot his first year or two, and then last year got a chance to, to be a big part of it and got injury, injured. And um, I think, I hope he's looking forward to a great senior year. I, I, he is going to be a presence for us. You know, he gives us a defensive presence. He gives us um, uh, an offensive guy that can pass the ball and sees the floor, and, and uh, we are looking for a big year for him. He's need, for us to be successful, he needs to have a very good year. We're talking with head coach of the men's basketball program here at Capitol, Damon Goodwin. And so, Coach, uh, we want to get to know you a little bit, so we're going to throw you some quick hitters here on the hot seat if you'll take a stab at sure. that with us. All right, so who was your favorite athlete growing up? Oh, Roman Gabriel. All right. What uh, sports teams do you follow? Um, I, I follow a lot of the colleges. I don't really follow pro sports as much. Uh, Notre Dame has always been a, a, a big, um, um, we've always been Notre Dame fans growing up, so I would say probably Notre Dame. And of course, you do, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> How about the favorite sports movie? Rocky. First, second, any of them, or? 
What's that? The first, the second, the oh one, one Rocky one, yeah. The OG of Rocky movies. Yeah. Uh, what other sports did you play growing up? I played. Uh, uh, I swam in the summers, um, and that's something I still do to this day. That's my exercise. And then I played uh, football and baseball and basketball. All right, an all-around athlete. What's your favorite thing about the game of basketball? I, I think the teamwork, the cohesion that it takes to be successful. If you were not a coach, what do you think your dream job would have been? A uh, financial advisor. All right. Who do you feel is the team jokester on your squad? Oh, uh, probably Reed Bradfield. That does not surprise anybody, I think. <laughs> yeah. Now, this could put you in a bad spot here, so be careful with your response. But who do you feel has the best and the worst fashion on the team? Wow. Um, uh, I would say Coach Golson. Best and worst? Or? <laughs> yeah, both. <laughs> I envy him, so I'm going to put him in the best category. <laughs> uh, I know that you had a lot of time to, to watch Netflix and Hulu over the last year or so. Yeah. So what are you watching right now uh, on uh, either of those? I am watching Away. Okay. It's very good. Recommend? Yes, very, very good. All right. And very what good. do you think is next? On, what's on deck? Oh, boy. You know, I, I watched some great ones. I watched Peaky Blinders this year. I thought that was awesome. Uh, I, I haven't looked that far. I'm, I'm not sure what's going to be next. All right. What is one thing that maybe would surprise us that you've been doing with a little bit of this extra time that we've been awarded? Uh, organizing my baseball, football, basketball cards. So uh, that's <laughs> something that, uh, you know, you and I have talked about last week, and, and um, I've had a lot of them for a long time, and I had time to kind of figure out what I do and don't have. All right. See, you were you spoiled my next question. I was going to ask <laughs> you, uh, you know, we found out that you are kind of a baseball and sports yeah. card connoisseur like yeah. me. Maybe not as nerdy as I am about it, <laughs> but right. what, what's your favorite that you have found that, that uh, you had in your collection? I have uh, three uh, Dr. J rookie cards. We're going to be talking. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Uh, how about your favorite musician, artist, or band? Ooh, I like Sugarland, a uh, little country music. I like Sugarland. Um, Janet Kramer is another country music, and um, um, kind of the '70s rock. That's, that's kind of what I listen to. Okay, and to clean up this last question on the hot seat, what is your favorite thing about Capital? Well, I, I think it's a unique place being the small school in the big city. I think that's a different feel than most Division three schools. And, and uh, you know, I've been here a long time, and, and I certainly like the field and the camaraderie of the people um, that are here. And, and um, it's a special place, and I hope to be here for a long time. All right. This has been head coach of the Capital Men's Basketball Program, Damon Goodwin, as we do our coach and program check-in on the season premiere of Forward Capital Crusaders. Coach, thank you so much for your time, and we look forward to maybe catching up again as we get closer to the season. Thank you, Ryan. All right. Stay tuned here as we roll along on Forward Capital Crusaders, moving into our next segment as we check in with a prestigious alumni. We've reached the halfway point in this edition of Forward Capital Crusaders. Now's your chance to hit pause and head to the locker room if you need a huff. Just don't sub us out. If you're going to do any kind of subbing, make sure that you subscribe to the Forward Capital Crusaders podcast on whichever app you're listening to so you never miss an episode. And leave us a comment and a rating while you're at it. Please and thank you. It's now time for second half action of the Forward Capital Crusaders podcast.
Ladies and gentlemen, we're honored to bring to the program one of the most decorated capital volleyball players, a Hall of Famer inducted in 2017, a two-time All-American, ESPN the Magazine, Cosida Academic All-American, two-time OAC Player of the Year, and that's just as a volleyball player. She's also a tennis alum and an all-conference player on that court. Oh, and she's also an incredibly successful young woman in uh, the practice of law. So from the Capital University class of 2004, I uh, introduce to you Nikki Workman. And Nikki, thanks for joining us on the program today. I know that for me, it's great to see you again after a little bit of a hiatus and, and catch up. But equally as awesome for the Cat fam to perhaps get to know you a little bit better here on the podcast. So let's kick off with an easy one. Life's been a little bit crazy. How's yours been? Crazy is a good word for it, Ryan. Um, I, as you mentioned, I'm a, a, an attorney and our practice has been incredibly busy as a result of COVID. Um, I'm the mom of two young girls. And so navigating that it, over the last six months has been interesting, but we have a lot of help and I have a very supportive spouse who's an equal partner in our, in our relationship and he's been amazing. And so just grateful is the word that comes to mind. I feel very grateful for um, our health and for all the support in our lives and um, try to keep that perspective um, on the days when I might be feeling sorry for myself. <laughs> but at the end of the day, you know, we, we have everything we needed more. Excellent. Now, I know that you're a partner at a pretty well-known law firm, Voorhees, Sater, Seymour & Pease, which is an incredible achievement and a testament to the type of hardworking person that you are. Can you tell us uh, what kind of law that you practice and maybe give an example of the transactions that you oversee? Yes, I am a finance attorney. So that is a lawyer that represents banks and large companies in finance transactions. So it's interesting. I think a lot of people that um, aren't as familiar with the practice of law, think of the law and order type lawyers they see on TV. And I was the same way. I don't have any attorneys in my immediate family. Uh, but the interesting thing is when I went to law school, I didn't want to be that kind of lawyer. I didn't want to be a litigator trying cases. I've always been very interested in business. And here at Capital, I majored in economics because I wanted a business background and I wanted to be a business lawyer. The funny thing is, though, I didn't know what that meant. Um, and I just got lucky because I really like what business lawyers do. So if you think about my practice, um, I always joke that if I'm in the courtroom, something's gone terribly wrong. Um, a representative transaction um, that, that I worked on over the summer, and this is um, the type of work I do all the time, we represented a large public company retailer who was putting in place new financing. And so we represent their interest in negotiating with their bank group. So it's, it's uh, a lot of drafting, it's a lot of um, negotiation with opposing counsel, and it's very collaborative within the team at Boris, and so it's, it's, it's a wonderful practice. But, but again, I'm not in the courtroom, and if I am, it, things are not going well. It, it's a very different TV show if it's about Absolutely, law, it? yes, yes. <laughs> well, now, when we say you're the, that you're a partner, I know that that's a big deal. I mean, Gordon Bombay in the movie The Mighty Ducks taught me that that's kind of a big deal. So, uh, But for the Cat fam, and, and maybe even for myself to understand what that really means, what does being a partner actually mean, and, and what kind of an accomplishment is that to have obtained that status so early in your career? I mean, it is a big deal, and it's something that um, young lawyers who join law firms aspire to, um, but what it actually means is that I'm now an equity owner of the business, 
And so when you are a junior, what we call associate at a firm, you're a, you're a W-2 employee and you get a salary and in some firms, if you do well, you get a bonus. What a partner is, is um, again, the equity owner of the business. So it's really two, two things. The income then is based upon how the firm performs as opposed to getting a flat salary. Um, and then two, you have a voting interest in all matters of the partnership. So anything major that happens at Vori's, all the equity partners get a vote. So that's the, the legal nuance of what partner means. But you know, back to what you were saying, it, it is a big deal. And why is it such a big deal? It's, it's, it's almost like you got voted into the club. And one of the coolest moments in my career thus far was my first equity partner meeting. So we have a meeting every December where all the equity partners come together. Of course, this year it will be virtual, um, but in normal years, we're all together in a room at the athletic club here in Columbus. And I'm sitting in this room, looking around at more than a hundred of the most brilliant legal minds in the country. And it was this very profound moment where you felt like, oh my gosh, like they accepted me. I'm in, and that felt like such an accomplishment. Um, and I'd been a part of an equity partner for a year at that point, but it was that moment of sitting in the room and realizing, wow, this is a big deal. Um, and that was really gratifying because, of course, it takes just years and years of really hard work to get to that point. Well, that's a fantastic representation of what the Cap Fam can do beyond the capital gates and we talk about the success that you've had and and we'll get to the athletic part we've touched on your professional career but you're also an incredibly successful mom as you had mentioned before with two we'll call them office helpers right now <laughs> but yes. and I don't mean, mean to diminish either job or all three accomplishments but how in the heck do you balance such a challenge to be a, a partner at a law firm and also a mom and a spouse and, and all of these things happening in the midst of a pandemic. What's the challenge for balancing all of that? It's hard every day. And I think uh, we're doing folks a disservice if we say anything other than that. Um, it is hard work every single day. There are many days when you feel like you're not doing enough in any one of those categories. The days when I feel like I'm really killing it at work, you worry, oh my gosh, am I there enough for the girls? The day where you really feel it like you're killing it for the girls, it's like, oh my gosh, I didn't get that thing out as quickly as I wanted it to. So it's a lot, it takes a lot of um, self-management. And, and I, I practiced yoga since law school and I try to have a regular meditation practice. So I think it takes someone who's very um, reflective and who's willing to, to work through those moments because it, it can consume you. The feeling of not enough in any one category can consume you, but you have to trust that you know, you're on the right path. And, you know, when, I, when I'm really feeling the most insecure about, am I there enough for the girls? Or is my job too much? I think about my, my role, my, my life as a role model as their mother and showing them what it means to be a professional woman and also be a mother and love being both. And so that, that's a, um, an opportunity and a privilege that I feel very strongly about. And it's like, you know what? No, you know, I, I, if I'm not there every single minute, they're not doubting that their mom loves them or they're not doubting that their mom, that we're the most important thing to them. I also have an incredibly supportive spouse who um, won't surprise you, Ryan. We talk in sports metaphors a lot. He's a huge <laughs> sports fan as well. And he always tells me that um, he's like, Nikki, look at the clock. Look at the scoreboard. You're up 50 points. 
And he's often telling me that because I'm such a gunner and I'm like, I've got to keep pushing, I've got to keep pushing. And if I'm not pushing every single second, I'm falling behind. And, and he'll say, Nikki, you are up 50 points. You can take a breather. And then I'm like, well, no, because if I take my foot off the gas, I'll only be up 30 points. And then what happens? <laughs> um, but no, he, he is a, he's hugely supportive of my career. And I know a lot of professional women don't have that in a spouse. So, um, I mean, we're very much a team. We approach... Uh, our careers as a partnership and you know we've always been clear from the beginning of our relationship that if it ever made sense for one of us to not work it would be not work in an office (laughs) because let's be clear yeah stay-at-home parents work just as much as as parents who go to the office but it's a different kind of work um so you know that that support in that village um is critical and again we have a wonderful nanny that's been with us for almost four years and my parents are close. My mother has been a huge support um, for me through my journey into working motherhood. Um, she's provided a lot of childcare for us. And my mother-in-law lives in Louisville, but she, so it's just, it's the whole village. You hear people talk about that. And I feel really grateful for mine. Fantastic. We're talking with Nikki Workman, class of 2004, Hall of Famer, All-American, accolades, just everywhere you go. But let's go backward a little bit even prior to your time at Capitol, back to your roots. Where was home when you were a youth, and when did volleyball become a part of your life? I grew up in Chillicothe, which is an hour south of Columbus. Um, My family is originally from a smaller town called Waverly, which is another 30 minutes south from there. Um... Sports have been in my life starting in the womb, I think. I am from an athletic family. I always joke that we're born with a ball in our hands. Um, My mother's father um, was one of five boys, um, all of whom played Division I college basketball. And um, there have been so many college athletes throughout that family. Um, And in fact, when I was little, I've always been tall. Um, but I wasn't very coordinated as a kid and I wasn't very aggressive. Um, and I didn't like gym class. And I remember like my stomach would hurt on days I had gym class. And later my mom told me that she was, when I was younger, really disappointed because I was tall, but she didn't think I was going to be an athlete. (laughs) Why was she mistaken? (laughs) (laughs) I offer that to say that, you know, I think people, you know, and nowadays it seems like these kids, if you're not like on the travel soccer team by age five, like you're done. Um, and I know it's a different time, but um, for me, I didn't get terribly interested in playing sports until um, probably fourth grade. I, that was the time, and again, I think now it's different, but that was the first grade in which you could play basketball as a girl in, I guess this would have been the early 90s. Um, and so I played basketball starting in fourth grade. I wasn't good. Again, I was tall, and coaches liked that about me, but I was not aggressive. Um, and I played basketball for a few years. And volleyball, though, was something that you couldn't play. There was even no option to play on an organized team until you're in seventh grade um, in Chillicothe, where I, where I grew up. But volleyball was a sport that my mom and her sisters played in the 70s at, at Waverly High School. Um, And of course, that was just a fledgling program, um, just as that was getting off the ground. But volleyball was something that was always talked about. And it's funny, looking back, it was almost like I was predestined to play, um, even though I didn't actually start playing volleyball until I was in seventh grade. 
fortunately, when I showed up at the gym, I was actually pretty good. So I don't know why I was good at volleyball and not good at basketball at that time, but my confidence really started to build because I showed promise and it was fun. And I think I was really, you know, it's, it's a tough age for girls coming into my own. And as the confidence grew and my skills grew, um, it, I really started to see myself then as an athlete. Prior to that, I, I wouldn't have characterized myself in that way. Um, and I think that the, the major turning point for volleyball and when I really started to think, wow, this could be something is um, my freshman year in high school, I played on the JV team. I started, I was good, but I wasn't outstanding. Um, I played club that spring and summer, and that was really the turning point where you had, I had really great coaching and I got really great experience and I just played a ton. My confidence grew and I remember coming back um, for my sophomore season, um, you know, I was on the varsity team and starting on the varsity team and I remember playing in a summer tournament with my varsity team right before the season started and there was this kind of buzz about like who is this girl you know who's Nikki and that felt really good and and again from there it was just that each little moment was building that confidence and like wow this this could be me and um actually had a setback my junior year in high school um the summer before my junior year started I tore my ACL I was at an elite camp at Miami University um, here in Ohio and I was there for an hour and I tore my ACL which of course is a huge setback and that's a, a really critical recruiting year and I missed that high school season and I was back by the club season but I had the brace on and I wasn't fully myself I was released to play but my strength hadn't fully returned my agility hadn't fully returned I wasn't able to jump as high and um, you know by that point I was good enough that I had my sights set on playing a smaller division one volleyball um, which with the injury made that much more difficult and for a while I kind of went through it so like well if I can't play division one I, I just really don't want to play and I don't know what made me get over myself probably my dad because he's he's always a voice of reason in my life and started talking a lot with coach Briggs and um, and then the rest is history I suppose in a good history it is at least from capital standpoint we're certainly glad that you made your way here but what made capital the destination the final destination as far as other schools that you may have been considering at the time mm -hmm. well so as I mentioned for a while I was so focused on um, on division one schools that by the time I started pivoting to division three I was pretty late in the process. Um, at the time, this would have been late 90s, I graduated high school in 2000. Uh, Muskingum, which is also, of course, in the OAC, um, the, the women's volleyball team was in the, the NCAA Final Four. And I was getting recruited very heavily by Muskingum and some other Division three uh, very good programs. Wittenberg, um, at the time, had an outstanding program. And, and I liked the idea of playing for a great program um, like Wittenberg or Muskingum at the time, I did not like the idea of attending college in New Concord, Ohio, or Springfield, Ohio, with all due respect to those institutions in those cities. Uh, I really wanted to be in a larger city. And, you know, it's growing up in Chillicothe, it's not tiny, but it's not huge. Columbus, in my mind, was the holy grail. I, I loved coming to Columbus. Um, I loved everything about the big city. Um, and so when I was thinking about where I wanted to go to school and also to my career prospects. So at that point in my mind, I wanted to be a lawyer, but I wanted a business degree first. 
and I wanted to be in a city where I'd have opportunity to have internships and um, to really take advantage of the business scene, um, but also, too, being a part of a, a vibrant uh, large city. So when Coach Briggs started recruiting me, um, you know, for, I didn't know that much about capital. There was a boy in my high school who came to play for Damon, um, and and that's really all I knew about it. Uh, once I visited, I loved the girls on the team, um, and I really liked Coach Briggs's message. I liked cap. I liked the feel of the campus. I liked its closeness to downtown, um, and the prospects of playing in the Cap Center, which at that point were just a dream, was just a dream. Um, was also appealing as well, and the opportunity to build something. So um, it, it was not a premier program when I joined, but I like to think that we made it one by the time that I left. Look at the record books. I think that that was definitely what you guys did. But before you could build a program, we had to build a building. So you were part of the group that really got to break in the Cap Center, which back in 2001 was a you know a brand new state-of-the-art building. So looking at what the prospect was and the vision was, how much did that uh, impact your decision? And what was that feeling like to be a part of that inaugural group? It was incredible. Um, it, looking back, it, it was definitely part of the decision. I don't know that I had a huge vision around it, but in hindsight, looking at what it did for our program as well as all the programs across the university. So, you know, we came in, when I came in as a freshman, we practiced at St. Charles and played at Bexley High School. And it, there were moments when I thought, what? I'm not a real college athlete. Like, what the heck is this? And um, but by the time we graduated, you know, we we're playing in this amazing facility, and we went from the bottom of the OAC to the top in a matter of four seasons. And I look at, you know, my close friends who played on the football team and on the men's basketball team, and and other programs that you saw just such a huge spike in. Um, the achievements of those programs, and I know it wasn't just the building, but certainly that had a big, big thing to do with it. Both in terms of being able to recruit an athlete that you can't give athletic dollars to, but look at this facility you could play in. But I think also too, the confidence that it engendered and really gave us a sense of home as athletes and the, the pride about Capital. This is our building. This is our field. This is amazing, and it was a really just a really neat thing to be a part of and to watch to not watch it to experience the growth and all those programs in a such short a period of time we're talking with nikki workman class of 2004 hall of famer all-american and our guest on today's alumni spotlight you know, I, I wish we had the time to go year by year and just look at what you did what and, and what your teams did that could be an all-day conversation but let's focus in on a couple of those key times. You mentioned the progress that your teams made over the course of four seasons, going from when you entered eighth in the conference all the way up to winning a regular season title in your senior season. You know, when you look back, what do you think did contribute to that progress? I think it was a complete team effort. I think it started with, with Coach Briggs and her vision and the discipline she had in recruiting the right athletes. So... I think getting me in the door um, was a, a big win for her, but it couldn't stop there. And I certainly was not enough to, to carry this team to a championship. But every year I think about the players that we added. I think about Brittany Hepner, now Brittany Bainham, um, and Ann Reed, now Ann Zirkle, who joined 
um, my sophomore year and and Brittany became the other outside hitter and Ann became our setter and then my junior year we added such a strong class with Jen Lilly and Ashley Gentry and Kristen Kinnis all most of whom have gotten remarried so apologies for not using the married names but um and, and just the, the building we made in each year uh, I don't mean the physical building um perhaps metaphorically but it, it, it took the entire group in going out and recruiting those athletes that we were a part of that recruiting process I mean it was coach Briggs who identified the girls but once they came it was our job to sell them on the program and on the vision and we were a cohesive unit I mean the thing one of the things I love about being a division three athlete was in season we were all in but we still kind of got to be college kids out of season but but in season I mean, we were committed to each other I mean we had um, an agreement among the entire team that we weren't going to drink during the season I mean, things like that where we're committing to each other and you trusted your teammates and we're all in this together and we're pushing each other in practice and very coach Briggs ran very competitive drills during practice where we would always you know fostering that competitive spirit and you know it's really I think it was recruiting the right people who wanted to come in and be difference makers we did not recruit individuals we, we recruited teammates um, and, an, and a person who wanted to be an individual and stand out in that way wouldn't have gelled well on the team so it was just a, just a complete team effort to get there in, in a really a, a short amount of time now many of us didn't have an opportunity to see you play I wish I could have been one of those people but you know if for someone that didn't get to see you play how would you describe your style uh, when you would play the word that comes to mind is energy um, I saw it as my role on the court and I think that my natural skill set lends itself to being a leader in this way but of course volleyball is a game of momentum like a lot of sports are but I feel like volleyball even more so than others and you need this constant stream of energy on the court to keep it going and you're putting rallies together to build the momentum to get to the game and then get to the next game and then win the match um, I was very vocal I often lost my voice um, but I loved it and you know again I was very energetic and um, I was an outside hitter um, which you know primary role there is to 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 bring the power and to get kills um, and I always thought that was that was really fun and also to help to, to build the momentum on the court bring the boom yeah. <laughs> now you, you're a, you hold multiple records uh, one of those or a couple of those include uh, career kills single season kills uh, single season service aces and you're also in the top 10 of a couple different categories not to mention a plethora of accolades, which if you go to our website, athletics.capital.edu, you can see all of those, um, plus all the wins. Of all of those things that you look back on and that are logged as part of your career, do any stand out as top highlights or top accomplishments to you? There are a couple that come to mind, um, some that might seem so specific, you might wonder why in the world they stand out, and, and there's one, you know, um, that I'll share at the end that that's really the seminal experience but the two funny ones that come to mind I remember we were in Emory, at Emory University in Atlanta for a week a weekend tournament and my parents had come down to watch and I don't remember who we were playing um, but I remember I I attacked the ball from the outside and I hit it down the line and I'm, I hit it so hard that it hit 
the defender in the face and it kind of knocked her out. And I remember my dad after the match was just so tickled with that. He was like, Nikki, you took her out. And it's such a, like a random memory. Um, but, but I think what that shows me is, I mean, my parents were a huge part of my career as an athlete. I mean, my dad, when I was in high school, spent every weekend in the spring and summer taking me all over the Midwest to play volleyball tournaments while well, my mom stayed home with our other three, my other three siblings. And there's so much sacrifice that my parents made so that I and my siblings could have these experiences. So those moments when I remember my dad, like really enjoying it was just a special thing for me. Um, and I did not, I mean, the seminal memory I have is in my senior season, we were playing Baldwin-Wallace at home. And so at the time, Baldwin-Wallace and Ohio Northern were at the top of the OAC all the time. Um, and we were at the end of the OAC regular season playing Baldwin-Wallace at home. We were one win out of the top, a three-way tie for first in the OAC with, with uh, Ohio Northern and Baldwin-Wallace. And we were playing Baldwin-Wallace at home. So we needed to, to beat them, to knock them down a loss, and then to give us a win. And we had an amazing crowd, tons of students. I mean, the campus really showed up. And I just remember the energy in that arena was palpable, and we won. And it was just, it was, I'm getting chills now even thinking about it. It was just incredible um, to to beat them at home, to, to put us up in, in uh, tied for first place. We're talking with Nikki Workman, class of 2004, and, and again, I feel terrible, like I'm shortchanging all of your career accomplishments because there's so many, but, you know, for as many things as you accomplished on the volleyball courts, you also competed for capital on the tennis courts, and you did that pretty well as being an all-conference selection in that sport as well. You know, was that part of the plan, or how did that come to be as far as you being Nikki Workman, the tennis player, too? It's such a funny story, um, and I, I will never forget this either. I, I was walking up into the MDR. Do we still call it the MDR? We do call okay. it the MDR. Okay. <laughs> so for non-alumni, that is our main dining room at Capitol, and it was um, early in my freshman year. We were in the middle of volleyball season, and um, Coach Briggs saying to me, um, something about tennis and you better watch out for um, Leonie Turak who at the time was our tennis coach um, she's always trying to pick off like one or two volleyball players to join the tennis team as well so um, women's tennis is a spring sport so you can play both and I said well I actually am a tennis player so in addition to volleyball I played tennis my whole life um, my parents both play and we'd go play when we were young and um, my high school was small enough that we didn't have a women's tennis team at the time, but Chillicothe Racquet Club had a great USTA tennis program, and so I played USTA tennis tournaments all spring and summer. Um, but it was never something I'd taken very seriously because we didn't have a high school sport, um, and volleyball was such a focus. But you know, I, I made this comment in passing, like, well, I, I, I am a tennis player. And I don't know how or before I knew it, I was on the roster. Like, no one even called and asked me if I wanted to. <laughs> um, and I thought, well, okay. And, and honestly, it, I'm sitting here smiling so big because I, 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 I came here to play volleyball, and it was so fulfilling, and I loved it. But I loved my tennis experience just as much. Um, and I think uh, of the girls, of my friends, I'm very close with the girls I played volleyball with, too, but I feel like some of them have scattered. Um, three of the girls I played tennis with, we've remained incredibly close. Um, and it was just such a, a wonderful experience. 
it wasn't nearly as um, serious as volleyball, so I felt like I still got to have some fun. Uh, but we were good, and um, especially early on, I mean, we were contending for the OAC title my freshman year, um, and and it and Coach Turek was my coach for the first two years. She was wonderful and hilarious, and then Coach Sean Stamps my junior and senior year. And we adored him as well. So it was just, it was a wonderful thing. And another benefit of being a D3 athlete, if you play more than one sport, you can actually do that. Now we have to fast forward a few more years into the future, up to 2017, not but a few years ago. Um, you're up for Hall of Fame consideration, in my opinion, a no-brainer. And it was, you get that call that you're going to be joining the ranks of Capitals Most Elite. You know, talk about that feeling about being part of the Hall of Fame class of 2017. It's kind of like I described that feeling of sitting in the first equity partner meeting at Borey's. It's one of those moments where you know you were a good athlete, you know you worked hard, but that's such an elite group, and it felt very special to feel like, wow, you know, I, I'm in. They count me among these elite few, and um, it was a really special night for a lot of reasons. Coach Briggs was inducted um, at the same time, and... Um, I was the mother of two daughters at that point, and um, my younger daughter stayed home because she was a baby, but my older daughter was there, and you know, I don't know if she'll remember it or not, but we have pictures, and I thought, just what a cool thing to stand up here in front of my mother and my grandmother and my daughter and, and my coach and all these women who were so instrumental in my life. Um, it was a really special night. And like you said, uh, part of how special it was is that you got inducted with your coach, the late Pam Briggs, um, as Hall of Famers together. Talk about how special Coach Briggs was to you, not even just on that night going in together, but just over the course of your career. She, she is such an advocate for women, and she was so focused on creating women and women who were confident and women who would go into the world and make a difference. And um, she just made that her life's passion and her life's work. And, um, and I think that's rare these days. Um, it, winning was important, of course, and competing was important, of course, but she was focused on creating a whole person and not just an athlete. And I think we were all much better for it. We're talking with Nikki Workman, class of 2004, Hall of Famer, All-American, and our guest today. We're going to hit you now with a few quick hitters, a quick set, if yeah. you will. Uh, <laughs> but now it's your job to slam it home and with the answer. So uh, just a little bit of everything uh, around the board. What was your favorite non-sport memory at Capitol? Oh, goodness. Um, what comes to mind? Sheridan Fest. I'll just leave it at that. For anyone at Capitol in... 2003-2004. I, I feel like I need to find out more about it, but I'm going <laughs> to find out that I don't want to know more about it. Is, is that a fair assessment? Fair. Fair assessment. <laughs> what teammate do you miss having in the huddle and why? Uh, Jessica Adelman. Now, Jessica Cox was my best friend, sister on the team. Um, we came in together as freshmen and were roommates our sophomore year, and she was just, uh, is one of my best friends she and her husband Casey Cox who also is a Cap alum he played on the football team live in California where Casey's from and so we don't get to see each other very often but um such such a huge part of my life at that point and, and still even though we get, we don't see each other as often as we'd like 
is there a teammate that you think that you'll never be able to forget for better or for worse? Oh goodness. Um, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, I mean, I, a lot of, a lot of my teammates come to mind. The one that comes that I'm feeling most strongly about is Holly Johnson, Holly Moose. And she was a year ahead of me and Holly and I, um, were very competitive and I feel like she made me better and I made her better. And it, it was a relationship that, um, you know, we weren't the closest friends. There were girls on my team that I was closer with friendship wise, but I really respected her as the ultimate competitor. And I, I couldn't look over and practice and not push myself because Holly was pushing herself every single minute. Um, and so, you know, she, she was a really important part of the team from that perspective. Now, you've been back on campus quite a few times here right now, and it wasn't really all that long ago that you graduated, but do you have a favorite place or maybe one that hasn't changed at all that, you know, when you come back, it kind of gives you the feels? The Cap Center. I mean, that that's an easy answer. It feels like the obvious one, but it, but it is. Um, again, it feels like our baby since we saw it from the ground up, and it's still, you, you can't walk into this building and not get that feeling. And lastly, Nikki, if you had a piece of advice that you'd like to give to a younger member of the Cap fam, what would that be? Uh, advice that my dad gave me, which was, um, he asked me, how do you eat an elephant? And I said, what do you mean, Dad? And he said, one bite at a time. So I tend to, and did and still do, um, often get overwhelmed by big change or I need to undertake this big project and it feels like everything has to be done right now. And the reality is you start with just one bite at a time. You start with one step at a time. You know, the same, Rome wasn't built in the day. Be patient and put the hard work in every day. Um, it's more important what you do every day than, than what you do one time. It's hard to keep that in perspective though, but um, just one step at a time, one day at a time, especially at a time like this where there's so much uncertainty, all you can do is take the next best step. No doubt about it. Nikki, thank you so much for joining us today and for sharing your past, your present, and and hopefully what will be a prosperous future uh, for you and your family as well. It was so fun. Thank you very much. All right, everybody. This has been Nikki Workman, Class of 2004, Hall of Famer from the Class of 2017, All-American, and a plethora of other accolades that are attached to her resume uh, joining us here on the Alumni Spotlight. We're going to take a brief pause and keep on moving the podcast forward here on Forward Capital Crusaders. Welcome back to Season 2, Episode 1 of the Forward Capital Crusaders podcast. And we come out of the half and settle in for our first feature piece of the season. Now, did you know that Capital had a former professional athlete that played in one of the largest sports organizations on the planet? Well, we do. And he's a man that at times is quiet by nature, but has a large presence on the football field at Capital University, and that is assistant coach Keith Rucker. Coach Rucker, thanks for joining us. This is a long overdue edition of storytelling here, and we're glad that you're willing and open to talk about your personal journey that took you through the NFL ranks for a number of years. So, Coach, give us a little bit of a resume or a background check as far as what are some of your most notable career notes uh, from the time that you entered the NFL and to the point where we stand here today. Okay, well, thank you, first of all, for having me. I'm glad to be here. 
Um, basically, uh, you know, some of the most notable, notable things in my life, um, especially in the collegiate NFL times, uh, was being the first Division three player in the history of uh, college football to be invited to and play in the Hula Bowl. That was a big honor for me. Got to go over to Hawaii and play. Uh, family was invited and flown over, so it was a great time to represent not only Ohio Wesleyan uh, and Division three football, but for my family's name. Um, then get an opportunity to go to the NFL Combine as a Division three football player, um, getting to compete with guys that I watched on TV after my games were over on Saturday. So that was uh, an awesome experience. Um, to, to playing in Arizona, starting in Arizona, ended up coming back to Ohio and playing in Ohio, got to reunite with a lot of my classmates and teammates and uh, family, got close back close to my family. Um, and then finishing up basically in Kansas City, which was, I got to play with Derek Thomas, some of the, the, the greats to ever play the game. And it was just, it was neat. The biggest experience for me was to play with so many different high caliber players and watch how they prepared. And that all, all of a sudden kind of helped me propel my game once I got there because it was a little bit of a difference when I got to the NFL from being at a Division three college where we watch film, but not as much as they do at the high level of playing in the NFL. So it was, it was a great experience. I uh, wouldn't change it for the world. Um, it's taught me a lot about life, how to, you know, fall and get up. And, you know, from going, getting cut by Buddy Ryan and him telling me that I'm, that's the last time I put on an NFL uniform. I mean, it was we had some a lot a lot of ups and downs in the NFL, and they're still going through it now. And you know, I just happen to be one of the guys that went through it. Well, we'll get uh, a chance to dive deeper into that time period uh -huh. in a little bit, but we can't really go too far before we kind of build the foundation of you. And, yeah. and so, talk about uh, you know where you grew up, a mm -hmm. little bit about your family. You know, the the baby Keith Rucker, so to say. <laughs> Yeah, I always tell a funny story. I always tell my family because when they introduce me, I'm the youngest of eight kids. And they always say, this is my baby brother. And I'm like towering over them. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not a baby. I'm your youngest. So, <laughs> but yeah, um, I, I, my family history starts in uh, Belzona, Mississippi. Um, when I was a year of age, my father passed away. Um, and again, being the youngest of eight kids, mom moved us up north to Chicago with some of my father's family who had moved up north. Um, so it kind of all started there. Grew up in a suburb just south of Chicago called Harvey, Illinois. Um, again, youngest of eight, started playing football at six years old. Um, four boys, four girls, all the boys did sports and the girls were mom's girls. They did the cooking and cleaning and took care of the boys. So it was a good time growing up there. and. And my mom lost her parents when her, she lost her mom when she was nine and her dad when she was 14. So to my aunts and uncles, she's their mom and she's not the oldest, she's like the second oldest, but my aunts and uncles call her mom, you know, still to this day. So she's always been a, a great leader and, and shown us the way and not told us how to do it, but showed us how to do it. So. Um, and she's still alive. She's 86 this year. Um, and she is alive and kicking still. So we're, <laughs> we're happy to be blessed to still have her. But 
growing up in the south suburbs of Chicago, uh, played football, played basketball. Like most kids, I spent a lot of time at the park back then. Uh, and as I got to high school, uh, my brother, who's my oldest sibling right now, um, he actually was at Marquette Dental School in Milwaukee. And I was, I we had moved to a neighborhood where I, me, my brother, and sister were the only blacks in the school. And I was okay because I did all the sports, so everybody kind of accepted me, but my brother and sister weren't really involved. And so they would skip school and not go to school. And then it got to the point where it was like, you can't go to school either. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? And they're like, well, if we ain't going, you ain't going. And so I ended up missing a lot of school. Um, my brother came in town over, I want to say it was over summer or something. And him and my mom had a long discussion. Long story short, I ended up moving to Milwaukee, Wisconsin with him while he was in Marquette Dental School, um, which was, at this point, this was going to be my third high school because I attended five high schools. So this was my third high school. Um, that school shut down and became a school of the arts. So, of course, I transferred from there um, into my fourth school, which was West Dallas Central, which was way out in the suburbs. I bust probably... 45 minutes each way every day to and from um and then that year my brother graduated from Marquette Dental School and moved to Cleveland to do his dental residency so we ended up in Shaker Heights Ohio um, Shaker Heights High School and basically after that year I ended up signing a scholarship to go to Eastern Michigan um went there as a tight end and when I got there I <laughs> I ate myself out of being a tight end <laughs> in high school. In high school, my freshman year, I was 185 pounds. My sophomore year, I was 285. My junior year, I was 225. And then my senior year, I was 260. And got to Eastern Michigan my freshman year, and I was 311. And they was like, well, why don't you get one of those 50 or 60 numbers? <laughs> <laughs> so I ate myself out of playing tight end. So I uh, went to Eastern Michigan. I was there for the first year. Um very uh touching situation where uh my academics were not my priority um i was sat down with some of the the staff there at eastern michigan and you know hey you're one of our top recruits don't worry about classes and tests be at games be at practice be on time and there was a lot of incentives that you were given and uh as far as you know money cars we it was i spent my the majority of my freshman year in Detroit. That's what everybody else was doing on the roster who was given that perk. And and so red flags went up and, you know, they basically told me you got to you got spring and summer to take two classes each period, each term, and get a C or better to um, obtain your, uh, keep your scholarship. And I couldn't even do that. I felt like the coaches would figure a way out. And so... Not only do I got to pack up and leave, I got to go home and tell my brother I lost my scholarship. And, and I always, this is kind of the story I tell my kids because I want them to understand how you can go from having everything at one moment to having nothing the next moment. And uh, so I went home. I was going to a junior college um, there in Chicago in South Suburbs. I worked every night from 8 at night to 4 in the morning and went to classes from 8 to 1 every day and it was it was mind altering um and so what happened was is after a year of going to juco my brother and i kind of rekindled our relationship and 
he finally came to me and was like, hey, Coach Hallway is at Ohio Wesleyan. And do you want to go up there for a visit? So I was like, yeah, that's fine. So over Christmas break, I went and visited Ohio Wesleyan and never left. I was there for three years after that. That is a lot to unpack right there. Yes. I mean, that is that in itself is a story. We could probably wrap it up right here and yeah. be done. But yeah. there's so much more to it that comes after the fact. But I guess take a step back just real quick because mm-hmm. I think that, you know, in in your story and switching high schools and, and being, you know, the youngest of eight with a single mom, mm-hmm. um, you know, talk about at the point at which you were like, yes, this football thing has legs. I, I could possibly do something with mm-hmm. this. When did that click in and, you know, how did you begin to prepare yourself to pursue that? I think, honestly, as a kid, I always said it. My mom had uh, has narcolepsy. So she falls asleep constantly, and I, I just remember as a kid driving around with her and her dozing and me turning the radio up loud and rolling the windows up and down trying to keep her awake. And I used to always say, when, when I grow up, I'm going to play pro football, and I'm going to get you a chauffeur, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. So, you know, that's when I first really started thinking about it, and I think the seed got planted. But when it really, when I really saw it as reality that it could possibly happen was probably my senior year of high school my senior year of high school um realizing that you know i went to shaker we were 10 and 0 and there was a lot of rumbles about you know how many guys we sent to division one that year and how many division one guys make it to the pros and then it really hit me when i got to college because there were a lot of guys i played with at eastern michigan even in that year that were going on to play professionally after that and I was like man that's the stage is big and so then I took that step back when I lost my scholarship and I was like man this ain't gonna happen anybody looking for an NFL guy in D3 and so my junior year at Ohio Wesleyan uh, we had two players there and I guess I should go backwards our head football coach's dad was a general manager of the Minnesota Vikings uh, when I was at Wesleyan, so and and this was a coach, Coach Hallway, that coached my brother when he was in college at Augustana. So that was the connection to me getting to Ohio Wesleyan. But my junior year, there was two seniors on my team, a running back. He was he was a D one transfer from U- UMass, and then we had a defensive end that was from Rhode, uh, from Rhode Island that was an All American lacrosse player. So a lot of NFL teams were coming in talking to them guys and they're watching their film and then they start seeing me. And then that's when it kind of started to get back to the point I can, I got a shot. You know, it's going to be a small one, but I got a shot. And then I thought maybe my coach's dad would be, you know, all over me. And, and to be honest, the Minnesota Vikings, I still haven't figured out this to this day. The Minnesota Vikings were, the only team of 32 that didn't come in to work me out at Ohio Wesleyan. Still haven't figured that out, but, you know, I, 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 I move on. I, you know, I, I just looked at it as a challenge. Um, and so they came in to look at those other guys, saw me, and my junior year I was actually uh, offered an uh, opportunity to come out and be on the practice squad with the 49ers. Contacted my brother. He's like, what do you think? I said, well, I don't know. I, I said, I really, it's my second opportunity for my degree, so I want to make sure I get my degree. He said, well, I'm going to just say this, and I'm going to let you make the decision. He said, if they're looking at you now, 
just think about you coming back, having a great senior year, and then think about if they're just trying to sign you to the practice squad now, maybe next year you can possibly be drafted. Who knows? Nobody knows. So I was like, well, that makes sense. I said, I'm going to stay at school. I'm kind of enjoying being back in school, and I don't want to leave early and then have to go back at some point later and finish. So I ended up going to stay in there. And, you know, glad I did. I was, again, All-American and national champ, defending national champion, shot putting discus in Division Three. So I wanted to kind of defend all of my titles. Um, and so it was like, I think there was about a week left in our season, and the head coach announced that I had been extended an invitation to play in the Hula Bowl. And that's when things kind of started to, I'm like, man, this this thing might really be able to take off. So... And my senior year was the most organized I've ever been academically. And it was because everything was laid out. Everything had a date, a timeline to it. So it turned out being a, a great year for me. So I ended up playing uh, basketball. And then when the Hula Bowl was over, about a month later, I got an invite to the NFL Combine. So I'm like, this thing is starting to pick up a little steam now. So... So indoor uh, track was over, basketball ended. I started outdoor track. Um, when outdoor track started, uh, I, there was a lot of deadlines that I had to figure out if I was going to do because about the time we found after the draft was over, I signed a free agent contract with the uh, Arizona, well, then the Phoenix Cardinals. And I found out that many camp was the same started the same day as graduation so had a decision to make and I was you know I decided and also I had to forego nationals because nationals was that week too so um, but I ended up going to camp with the Cardinals and best decision I made and you know it just led to eight years of fun and getting paid to do something that I love to do. So you were a 14-time All-American between two different sports at Ohio Wesleyan. Mm -hmm. And if that wasn't enough, like you said, you go to the the Hula Bowl and you participate among some of the best seniors in college football. Mm -hmm. And then you go and make the big leap. Now, you mentioned that the NFL draft kind of came and went. And that was even at a time when the NFL draft was much more expansive yep. than it is today. Yep. Did the dream diminish at all when you didn't hear your name called? Or was that another challenge issued? Or was it something that you expected? Well, I didn't expect it. Uh, looking at Mel Kuyper Jr.'s ratings and listening to nah, we don't believe the media. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, I, I, was, I was pretty pumped up because they said what they were saying is I was going to be one of the top three defensive linemen, interior linemen drafted that year after Bill Johnson at Michigan State. And then I forget where the other kid was from. But, you know, so I'm reading these magazines, seeing my name. I'm like, whoo, this is pretty good. And so got to the point, you know, I'm sitting at home, draft is going on, and I'm glad I didn't have a party like I was, <laughs> like I was planning on. So I'm sitting there, the phone rings, Atlanta Falcons. They're like, yeah, we got a pick coming up second round. You know, just stick by the phone. All of a sudden, second round's over, third round goes. Then I get a call from another team and another team. And it just went on and on. And finally, at the end of the day, I was like, you know what? I said, I'm going to just head back to school. So I got, I was, so I, yeah, I, the dream did diminish a whole lot because I was like, man, this is all this hype. I went to the combine, ran a great time, thought I did pretty well lifting and with all my, my meetings and stuff that we have with them and got back to school. And, like, the next day, my coach called me. 
he's like, can you come down to the office? And I'm like, yeah. So he's like, I come down and they got this big banner over the door. It said Keith Rucker is a Phoenix Cardinal. And I'm like, wow, did I miss myself getting drafted? <laughs> and, and, you know, at that point, I wasn't even thinking about the free agency deal. And so my agent had called my brother. My brother called Coach Hallway. And, um, and so Coach Hallway you know, delivered the news to me, like, in front of the entire team and that stuff. So, basically, I signed a free agent contract with the Cardinals, and I went in there, and I still tell my guys that I coach now to this day when we're going over depth chart. I'm like, my name was dangling off the bottom <laughs> of the depth chart. I, and my agent was like, well, this is the best best opportunity you got. We picked a team where they're, they're kind of old and inexperienced but not very good. So, we go through that. And so it, it gets to the point where names are starting to drop and my ass starting to move back and forth from one side to the other to the middle and ended up making the team after the, that last round of cuts they made. Uh, we came down from training camp and they made the phone call that I made the team. And then the first week we played the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And so... We go to Tampa. Coach is like, man, it's hot and muggy out there. It's humid. You got to be ready to go. We're going to need you. We're going to play you a lot tomorrow. I got two snaps, <laughs> and they were both field goal blocks. I'm like, dang. So second week, we play the Redskins. So we play Washington Redskins. I play against Jim Lachey from, from Ohio State. Big, big stud tackle. End up having eight tackles and two sacks. So the third week, we had a bye week. So we come back from the bye week, and we got the Cowboys the next week. And so my D-line coach called me in his office. He's like, hey, I need to talk to you. He's like, yeah, we're going to switch our defense. We're going to run what we call a big nickel, and you're going to be starting in that. So anytime you hear big nickel, you go. I said, okay. And so it still hadn't sunk into me that this is what we're going to eventually evolve to. And so we're playing against the Dallas Cowboys, and three-man front is not working. All of a sudden, they, big nickel, big nickel. So I go on the field, boom, smash Emmitt Smith. Next play hit Daryl Johnston. I mean, it, from then on, it was like, okay, big nickel is our base now. <laughs> and so from then on, I mean, from week three on, I, I've been a starter in the NFL. Uh, we never gave up 100 yards in the three years I was there in six games to Emmitt Smith. He never got over 100 yards rushing. And the crazy part about it, those three years were the three years they won the Super Bowl. No doubt. Now, I got to tell you, as a Cowboys fan, you're breaking my heart here. I'm telling you. <laughs> so I guess that prompts another question, you know, for those people that think, like, they watch TV and they're like, I can do that. Mm -hmm. What's your message to them? Hey, if, if you can, I've, I've been told since I was a little <laughs> kid, if you can believe it, you can achieve it. Now, what about for the people like me that are on the couch eating potato chips and drinking <laughs> beer and watching the game be like, I can do that. What is he doing? Like, now what do you say to those people? I say to those people, <laughs> just keep believing. <laughs> keep believing because, yes, my, and my, bro, my brother is the same way. He, he'll sit there all the time. Man, I don't know why they would call that. If I was in that position, I would have. I'm like, would you? Why would you have done that? And then there's no answer. So I'm like, okay. <laughs> 
Coach Rucker, I think that when you were first hired here at Capital, I may have even mentioned this to you, but if not, you know, I remember you as a Cincinnati Bengal, uh, because like a lot of kids, I played the Madden video game, probably Mm -hmm. on the Super (laughs) Nintendo at that point in time, Uh, and I remember lining up my Cowboys and just thought, man, that is a big (laughs) dude that's coming at my guy. Did you ever play as yourself in the video game, or think, holy crap, I'm in a video game? I I played a little bit, I played a little bit. It was cool, though, growing up uh, and and thinking about all the video games and then actually seeing your name on it. I'm like, you know, even like on Tech Mobile, you know, they yeah. got, always got the name over the guy. So it was it was quite an experience for me, and we did. We played a lot when I was in Arizona. I mean, we were like a bunch of big kids, man. We'd go to somebody's house, have a tournament, be there for two days playing the video games. It was, it was pretty cool, man, and the... Have my my nephews and my family members to be able to say, that's my cousin, that's my family member right there. It's a pretty cool honor. Yeah, well, you know, now kids nowadays can just create a player yes. and they can put their name yes. on it. You actually earned it. So. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> well, we're talking with assistant football coach Keith Rucker and just kind of going through his life uh, through college, the NFL, and now we kind of transition into life after the NFL. Talk about what that transition out of the NFL and into a new profession was like for you. Well, uh, the biggest thing for me is uh, after I uh, retired and finished playing football, um, there were four classes that I needed because I was an education major. Um, There were four classes I needed to retake because their requirements had changed over those seven or eight years I was gone. So I went back to Ohio Wesleyan, and I had a I had an academic advisor there, and she was she happened to be a heaven send for me. Uh, Margie Shay said to me before I left, she's like, "Now you you told me you were gonna graduate, and I understand this NFL opportunity." She said, "But I want you. The only way I give you my blessings is if you promise me that when you're done, you're gonna call me and come back and finish." So I said, I promise. And, you know, I probably didn't realize the ramifications it had, what I was saying at that time. But I knew what my dream was. So I was like, yeah, I said, I'll come back. I'll come back. So as soon as I retired, I get back to my mom's house, unpack my truck. I called Margie. I said, Margie, I'm done with football. And she's like, are you serious? I said, yep. She said, are you are you sure you're done? I said, yeah. She said, because you only need four classes to get your degree completed. Um, and those other two classes we got rid of. So what we're going to do is have you take those like it's in a summer course or something like that. I forget how I did it. And so I ended up taking those classes, started those first two classes, and she called me about a week later. She said, when can you be in Delaware? And I was like, well, I'm not really doing anything, so whenever. She said, well, I'm going to give you two weeks, and I want you to show up. I got something in the works. So I get there, and she get, has it set up with the president of the university that if I coach football and track for the year, they're going to allow me to take all of those six classes and take care, and pay for it. Plus, they were paying for my room and board, so I just stayed in the stadium at Ohio Wesleyan. There's, like, offices upstairs, and they turn them into rooms for, like, GAs and interns. So that's where I stayed in the stadium. Um had access to the laundry room, training room, everything was at my fingertips. So I ended up going back and I coached football there my freshman year, assisted with, actually coached the D-line. 
Um, and then I coached track shot putting discs for the second semester, indoor and outdoor. And while I was there, I met a guy who actually had just gotten a head coaching job at Mount Healthy High School in Cincinnati, which is where my wife was at. So I'm like, well, yeah, I think I can handle that. So I called, talked to him. I'm like, uh, you need any coaches down there? And he's like, yep. He's like, I can probably get you in the building, but you won't be a PE teacher until next year. You have to do like a study hall or some kind of monitor supervisory. I said, whatever you can do to get me in the building. So he got me in as a study hall teacher there, um, and I coached football. Then end up, one of the football coaches talked me into coaching basketball. So I was a head freshman basketball coach. We ended up winning a conference championship. And then I, of course, did track. So it kind of, I mean, it kind of rolled right in there. And the next thing you know, four years later, that head coach leaves, and he goes to Oak Hills High School. And the AD at the time was like, hey, uh, if you stay, I can pretty much guarantee you'll be our next head coach. And I'm like, you know, so I've been an assistant, I've been a coordinator, so I want to be a head coach. So he left, and I became the head coach for the next four years. And, you know, then after that that school system got a little tiring for me. It was a little rough to deal with because they had a lot of kids. Like, I would have to go pick them up to get them, get them to come to practice. And you get to the house, and there's three cars in the driveway. You know, so I said, I need something different. So I moved on. I went and coached at Loveland High School and had a great two years there, actually. And then I went to Aiken High School. That was as an assistant. I went to Aiken as a head coach. I was ready to jump back into head coaching. Then I went over to Princeton High School, which is my residential school. I ended up going there for two years. And after two years there and being in the building, I ended up uh, getting a call from Ohio Wesley, my alma mater. And they brought me on staff there, and, and I was there four or five years. And my second to youngest son, who's a freshman in college now at Tiffin, he um, was like a sophomore in high school. And he was going to school in Hamilton, which was probably 20, 30 minutes from our house. My wife teaches in Cincinnati Public the total opposite way. So I took a year off from coaching at Wesleyan to actually uh, go home, work at a high school there. I coached at LaSalle High School that year. Um, and then when I was done, he had his license. I reached back out to uh, our old AD here, Roger Ingles, and asked him if he knew of any coaching jobs in the area. And that's when he told me, he said, well, I'm at Capitol now. I'm not at Wesleyan anymore. And I was like, well, do you know if the coach is looking for guys? He said, you know what? As a matter of fact, I think we just lost a coach. And I said, well, can you put me in touch with the head coach? So he had the head coach call me. You know, great young staff, a lot of young minds, and, you know, a program that was was in the position to be changed, and I wanted to be a part of that change. All right, we're here with assistant coach Keith Rucker as we wrap up our feature spotlight on his life and NFL career and now getting into the back end as a, an assistant coach with Capital Football and and coach from the NFL to a Division three coaching rank. You know, what are some of the either the lessons or maybe even just some of the techniques and things that you can teach even a D3 athlete that they can take with them and succeed? Uh, the, 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 for me, the biggest crossover is just technique and, and that's what I teach. Uh, I have a training company that I run and a skilled training company for offensive and defensive linemen. 
And it's, it's really all about technique and teaching guys how to move their feet. But I think the, the, the biggest crossover for me was just being a technician. I always tell kids, I say, if I can pick this stud athlete over here and I can pick this technician who's probably not as good as he is naturally, I'm going to take the technician because he's going to continue to do it right because that's the way you're supposed to do it. Where this stud over here, if his game gets off a little bit, he's going to start adjusting and changing stuff because it's not working like it used to. But this guy's just going to consistently do it over and over and over the right way because that's the way to do it. And so that's that's my biggest, I think, crossover. And, and even for me, going from a Division three school and playing on the big stage with the boys that played D1 and even some D2 guys um, when they were in college, it all comes down to, on a line in the trenches, it all comes down to inside hands and, and the low man wins. So, you know, that's that's the technique I would talk to kids about is just whatever position you play, make sure you can do all the basic fundamental techniques and just basically master it and continue working at it. And, and that's how I train the guys that I train in trench skills. It's all basics. We talk about footwork, agility, um, and then we got some drills that we do. So, well, I know, Coach, that in a in a previous question, you mentioned that you know being able to help, to choose to help, mm-hmm. was important. Was an important, um, you know, had an impact on your life by someone that chose to help you. Yes. You have now chosen to help others in the Reach for the Sky Foundation, a nonprofit that helps youth that are looking to get into the game and, mm-hmm. and even go beyond it. Talk to us a little bit about uh, Reach for the Sky. Okay, Reach for the Sky started in 2004, um, and then it, it, it came about uh, probably a year before. So I would say probably 2003 is when it really came about. Uh, I was working a professional football player, a former professional football player's camp. And part of working the camp, they paid us like 400 bucks or 500 bucks for working this camp. And part of your duty was you had a a secondary duty. So my secondary duty was to stand in the parking lot. And when cars come, stop the car so people can go from the parking lot up to the fields. And so this van pulls up and there's four kids in it, but only one got out. And I was like, I didn't understand. So I noticed that the guy went and parked and they were walking across. So I stopped the traffic. So I'm messing with the other three guys. I'm like, man, you guys don't like football? They're like, yeah, we like football. I was like, weren't you just in the van? They was like, yeah. And the dad was like, well, yeah, well, the camp costs $300. So I can only afford for him to go this year. He'll go next year. He'll go the year. And I, it just caught me by storm. I'm like, how bad is that? You know, so I, I started thinking in all camp, I was like, I said, I got to do something about that. So first thing I did is I went up to the guy who camped with us. I said, do me a favor. I said, I'm going to work your camp for free for the next three days. I said, I don't want you to pay me. I want you to scholarship a kid. When I got home, I talked to my wife, and I was like, I I told her the story. She was like, that sucks. I said, yeah. I said, so I want to do something for those three kids that couldn't get out of that van, who couldn't go to the camp. Well, over the next five or six months, I put together a board. Uh, I I talked to people about what dates look good to do camps. What are we going to do in the camps? Because it started out as football and basketball. Then I did football, basketball, and cheer. Then I started losing a lot of the basketball kids because I couldn't get the caliber coaches that I could from football. 
So then we went football, cheerleading, and we started to incorporate some some classroom stuff, some computer stuff. And I started bringing people in to, to guest speak. And But I think the extra added thing that I give is we actually feed the kids breakfast. We feed them lunch. They get camper of the day t-shirts and awards, little trophies and stuff. And so I do a two-day camp. And everybody say, well, what's the difference between one day and two day? I say, well, you serve more kids, first of all. Second of all, you get to find out what that kid retained from the day before. If you do a one-day camp, you got to wait till next year to try to see what that kid learned. If it's about community, there are so many resources out there. And that's how the, the camp runs. So that first year I told you we had about 48 kids where we're averaging. And I, I do a camp in Cincinnati, Memorial Day weekend. And then I do one in Chicago, my, in my, my hometown, um, the second week of July. So we're doing both of these camps. Each of the camps average about 350 kids a year. And we're still doing football and cheer. And we get the, the best coaches, uh, high school coaches and youth league coaches in the area come out and help out. It's, it's, it's a very good setup, very well-oiled machine. It's just an opportunity to give back to the community, get the kids out the front of the TVs for a couple of days, playing video games, let them come out and have fun. Well, the Reach for the Sky Foundation is certainly doing some fantastic work for uh, youth boys and girls uh, in both of those areas. So for those that may be looking for a little bit more information mm -hmm. to contribute or even be a part of it, uh, where can we direct them to and how can they get involved? Uh, our website is reach4thesky.org, and it has further contact information on there. It lets you know when the camps are. Um, it's had photos on there. Um, and, and we turn no volunteers away as long as they're there for the, for the kids. And our, our foundation motto is we're all about the kids and those are the kind of people we're looking for. So if people are all about helping kids and giving them some great experiences as they grow up and to teach them how to give back, then reachforthesky.org is, is the website. Give us a call, get in touch with any other board members and we'll get you set up and on the volunteer list. Well, that sounds fantastic. Uh, we encourage everybody to at least consider it and perhaps even participate yes. in it. And Coach Ruck, thank you so much for not only just doing the work that you're doing with the Reach for the Sky Foundation, the work that you're doing with our student athletes yes. and sharing your story to show just what uh, determination, passion, and drive can do to get somebody from, as you said, small town Mississippi yep. all the way to Columbus, Ohio, <laughs> bouncing back between major cities up here in the Midwest. Absolutely. Absolutely. It was my pleasure, and I appreciate you guys on what you're doing as well, Ryan. All right. Well, thank you, Coach Ruck. You've been listening to assistant football coach Keith Rucker here at Capital University describe his path, his life through a high school, college, the NFL, and now right here in Columbus, Ohio with Capital University. Stick around, and we'll bring you a little bit more as we move forward on the Forward Capital Crusaders podcast. Well, Cap fam, that was a little bit longer than we thought, but thanks for legging it out with us, and we hope you enjoyed it. Special thanks to our guest today, Dixie Jeffers, Damon Goodwin, Keith Rucker, and Hall of Famer, Nikki Workman. Next time we chat, we'll be double-dipping with Dixie Jeffers with your AD update and a preview on the women's basketball program, and our alumni spotlight will head back out to the football gridiron from the class of 2014 
Alex Coleman. That and a little bit more from within Capital Athletics. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast on your favorite app and also follow us on social media. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Cap Crusaders, and you can also find us on Facebook and YouTube. Thanks again for joining us, and until next time, please everyone stay safe and go Cap!